You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. I fancy myself a little bit of an expert on hypocrisy for the reason being that I went to both Christian school and Bible college. And both at Christian school and Bible college, institutions strive to have a culture, an environment of both faith and education. And because there have to be these rules to establish where there can be education and also a place of religious culture, there are many things which are legislated into the lives of the students. Um, When I was in Bible college, I had to file a weekly Christian service report which stated that I had been at church Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Additionally, it had to make clear that I had been a part of a Christian service activity, that I had also served in some capacity, and that I had gone on visitation that week. I was once called into the dean's office, not because I failed to go to church, but because I failed to file the report that said that I went to church. And so there are all these bureaucratic steps that were taken to make sure that we were doing the things that they expected Christians to do. Now, I, I, I didn't do really well obeying the rules, okay? I was nearly kicked out of Christian school. I was expelled from Bible college. And what bothered me the most whenever I would get in trouble is I would look and see people who were breaking commandments and not getting in trouble, and yet I was in trouble for breaking the institutional rules. All right? Don't get me started on the rules that they had about dating. Okay. Now, don't tell anybody, but I kissed Nicole in the hallway at my Bible college. All right? She's my fiance. <laughs> So here I am, I'm rebelling against these rules, but I feel like I'm keeping the commandments of the Lord. And for me, I was making this distinction between the institutional rules and the commands of the Lord. And there were people who were breaking God's commandments and they were keeping the rules. And so they were staying out of trouble. They were doing an excellent job of appearing to be this picture-perfect Christian that the institution wanted them to be. And so I saw this hypocrisy. I saw people who were really good at pretending they were serious Christians. I saw people win the Christian Testimony Award. Yes, that was an actual award in Christian school and at Bible college. And they won that award, and I knew that they didn't have much of a Christian testimony. By the way, if you're in Christian school, the way to win the Christian Testimony Award is to just be quiet. That's the way that you win that award. Now, I'm being rough on Christian schools and Bible college, but my children attend Christian school. And I hope that one day they'll attend Bible college. And you might be thinking, wait, you just said that the Christian school was full of hypocrites. There were a lot of hypocrites where I went to Christian school. But I don't judge the institution that I was a part of based upon the hypocrites that I went to school alongside of. The institution should be judged upon the heartbeat, spirit, mission, truth, doctrine of that institution. Now there are some Christian institutions, labeled Christian institutions, I would not send my children to. There are some schools that are Christian schools that I would not send my children to. There are some churches that I would not recommend you go to. Not because of the people that go there, but because of what they stand for and what their mission is. But if an institution, a church, 
a school has a mission and teaches truth that lines up with God's Word, that should be the litmus test, not the people that are affiliated with it. It would be unfair for me to pay all Christian institutions based on my experiences with a few people at one institution who were not following the guidelines of that institution. Let me give you an example of how this works out here at our church, okay? This past January, we had our Break the Chains event. Jim McComas came and spoke. It, it, was, it was an amazing two services. We had many guests with us who were here to support uh, the event, and one of them was the former sheriff of our county. He caught me on the side after the service. He said, you know, Daniel, I saw a lot of people here that I have met elsewhere, and it was not in church. And he didn't say that to say, like, hey, you need to be on the lookout. There's some criminals that attend your church. He was saying, like, that's great. And he did not judge our congregation based on a few people that he had run into elsewhere in a squad car in the jail. Rather, he judged our institution and our mission and what we're about by the gospel that he heard preached here and the message that we were proclaiming here. And so that was the litmus test. Okay, Now, there are many people that struggle to have faith in God because of hypocrites that they've come into contact with. You work with someone who preaches a lot more than they practice, right? You've got a neighbor who claims to be a Christian, but is the worst neighbor that you've ever had. You rub shoulders with someone, or you have a brother-in-law who seems to know a lot of Bible, but doesn't practice any of it. And a lot of times it feels like the biggest hypocrites are the ones who preach the most, or talk the loudest about their spirituality, and practice it the least, right? They talk the talk, and they talk it big, but they do not walk the walk. And Jesus' scathing message to the hypocrites, I want you to recognize that Jesus does not tell them to jettison the message, but rather he tells them to not follow their example. And the verses that we read there at the beginning, he says, you tithe on the smallest of things, but you don't value justice and mercy. You ought to do the other while making sure that you're committed to justice. He wasn't saying, forget it all. He was saying, you should be doing both. In verse 3, if you look back, he has said, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Verse 3, he says, All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do ye not after their works, for they say and do not. Jesus says, listen, the things that they're telling you are right, so observe them, but don't do as they do right? Do as they say, because they're saying right things, but they're not doing them, so don't follow their example, all right? And there are examples all around us of people who are affiliated with church. They're affiliated with the message of the gospel. They're affiliated with the message of Christianity, but they're not following it. Just this week, another Christian leader that I have listened to and learned from had allegations of sexual misconduct come out about him. And it seems that that they're true, that there is validity to them. That, that is heartbreaking to me. That is so disappointing. But the messages that he preached are not then false. What he said is still true, though his example is not one that we should follow. I'll continue to obey the truth he preached. I will observe and not follow his example. Jesus tells us, reject the example of the hypocrites, 
But don't reject the truth just because it's been touched by the hypocrites. You see, Jesus came admitting that there are hypocrites, not just admitting they're hypocrites, but Jesus came calling out the hypocrites. And I, I want to stand before you tonight, and I'm not only admitting that there are hypocrites in the church, I want you to know that we do our very best to call them out on a regular basis. If you're present here this morning, you know that, that nobody was given carte blanche or nobody was given a pass on the message about sexual sin. Because it's not just for homosexuals, it's for all of us. Pornea is reference to all sexual sin, all sexual immorality. It's for all of us. And so we're not just admitting that there are hypocrites, that's where we got to start, but we're calling hypocrites to repentance. Um, that's where Jesus started, so that's where we need to start. We need to admit there is hypocrisy in the church, confess our sins as individuals, confess our sins as a church, and call other hypocrites to repentance. Uh, in the book, Blue Like Jazz, which like many books I've picked up and started reading and then set aside but haven't finished. Donald Miller tells a story of when he was attending a, a, a secular university in the Pacific Northwest. And every year this university has a large festival. It's a big party. And many frat houses and sororities, they throw big parties. People get drunk. It's just, it's madness. And so he and some other Christian friends decided that on the lawn of their campus, they would construct a confession booth. There in the middle of this festival, all this stuff is going on. And students stumbled into the confession booth, drunk, kind of making a mockery of it, you know. But before they could say anything, Donald Miller and his, his Christian friends who had constructed it, they started confessing their sin to these people. They started confessing their hypocrisy. They started confessing the sins of the church. They started confessing the sins of greedy TV preachers who had wrecked the name of Christianity in the public eye. And when they did that, it caused these students who walked in inebriated, who walked in looking to make a mockery of it, it caused them to pause and stop. And it opened the conversation and a dialogue between those. And then the word began to spread and other people came and wondered, is this real? Are you guys really doing this? And they took turns and they worked in this booth. And what they did is they started a conversation and they were able to lead some of these people they built relationships with to Christ because they started by admitting, we have made mistakes. And so this, this evening, I don't want to come from a place of justifying anything that the church has done, justifying anything that any hypocrite has done. Our, our, our knee-jerk reaction is to justify ourselves. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, right? That even when we're wrong, I mean, we just immediately jump into justifying ourselves. And the temptation is for us to say, well, that's just that one guy, and to belittle their hypocrisy. We need to admit hypocrisy is a major problem in the church. And it was such a major problem that that's exactly where Jesus began. He started by preaching a message of repentance to the religious elite of the day. He came into one of the most religious cultures and called them to turn from their wickedness and their false religion. They are hypocrites in the church. And there is evil that has been done in the name of Christianity. And if you are a person that you have suffered because of the hypocrisy of someone. You've suffered at the hands of someone who claimed to be a Christian and then pulled a crooked business deal. Someone who claimed to be a Christian and then talked, gossiped about you behind your back at work or caused some major heartache in your family. I am sorry that that happened. And I don't want to justify that at all. 
I want to call that to repentance. And so if we're here tonight and we are living under the moniker or the name of Christian, but we are not following the teachings of Jesus, that is something that we need to repent from. And if we're walking with Jesus, He's going to call that out in us. He's going to call us out on our hypocrisy. The Holy Spirit is going to convict us in these areas where we are weak, where we are just showing a lukewarm attitude towards God's holiness and His justice and His mercy and His passion for the lost. God's going to call that out of us. As we spend time in God's Word, He's going to call it out of us. That should be happening in our church. That's when revival takes place, by the way, when we get serious about what it is the Lord is doing in our hearts. And so let's start this message on the problem of hypocrisy, by, not by justifying, but, but admitting, confessing, and perhaps, if it needs to be the step that you take tonight, repenting of the way that we've pretended we've carried on this pretense. Now, let me give some explanation as why there are so many hypocrites in the church. First of all, let me make it clear that there are false teachers who claim to be the church. From the very beginning, there have been people who wanted to take the words of Jesus and twist them for their own personal gain. Paul writes to the the New Testament churches, churches within one generation of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The very beginning of the New Testament church, Paul is already writing to churches about false teachers and false prophets who are looking to heap unto themselves riches and praise and food. He says they are motivated by their bellies, right? They're, They're looking to preach things that people will like or preach things that will guilt them into giving to them. There is greed that is this driving factor behind the message that they're preaching. Jesus himself calls out these religious leaders in this message. In verse 6, he says, they love, the scribes and Pharisees, love the uppermost rooms at feasts. They love the chief seats in the synagogues. And they love greetings in markets, verse 7. And they love to be called of men, rabbi, rabbi. You know what he's saying? He's saying the reason that they do these things, the reason that they, they have stepped into this position of religious leadership is because they like the perks that come along with it. They like the best seats in the synagogue. Now, I'm going to assume that maybe that was the front seat, front row seat in the synagogue. Now, the Baptist church, it'd be the back row, right? I thought about getting a sign that says available, call me and put it on the front pew. They like the chief seats. They like the uppermost rooms at a feast. When there's a feast, the best seats in the house. They like for people to make room for them to come and sit because they're important. They're the leader of the temple, the synagogue. They like for people to see them in the market and say, Oh, Rabbi, Rabbi, Master, Master. They like the prestige that comes along with it. He says in in verse 14, You devour widows' houses. What's he talking about? He's saying you're taking advantage of widows. You're taking advantage of their generosity and their good nature, and you're taking from them. And how how disgusting it is that many a preacher has gotten on TV and used that, that mode of communication to devour the homes of widows, of elderly people, who have devoured the homes of people who have very limited means to begin with by promising if you will send in a faith promise, God is going to return to you a great reward. That is motivated by greed. 
And that's what Jesus is calling out here in these hypocrites. They're false teachers, false leaders. So there are hypocrites who are hypocrites for profit. They're hypocrites for hire. They're doing it before because of what it brings to them. Then there are some who are hypocrites because they're hypocrites for prestige. They like to be in front of everybody. They, they, they like to be the one who's talking. We've, we've had people come and visit us here at our church, and the first Sunday that they're here, they want to tell me how bad the last church that they left is. And, they, they, and then they ask me, the first Sunday they're here, if, if there's any Sunday school teachers that, or any Sunday school classes that they could teach. You know what that is? Red flag, red flag, red flag. That's what that is. That's someone who really likes to be in front of people. Wants to get up in front of the group. Wants to have the preeminence. He says here, for pretense they make long prayers. They pray really long. Not because they are so dedicated to the Lord and they're passionate about their prayer, but because they want everybody to listen to their long prayer. And so there are false teachers and false leaders in the, who claim to be the church. And two, there are false believers who claim to be in the church. Here in the book of Matthew, in Matthew 7, chapter 7, Jesus tells us that there are people who will be quite surprised when they are not admitted to heaven. They will say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We served you. 721 says, Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? You go on, and in thy name sung in church, and in thy name given money, and in thy name passed out a track, and in thy name built homes, and in thy name gone on trips. And in thy name attended revivals. And in thy name attended prayer meeting. And in thy name taught Sunday school. But verse 23, And I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. That, that should give all of us pause. There will be those who are false believers who will come before the Lord and will say, look at all these things that we did. And he will say, I did not know you. It may be that you are sitting here tonight and you attend our church regularly and you serve and you give and you don't know Jesus. You know what the clearest indication to me that these people have missed it is that they want to point out the things that they have done. When we stand before the Lord, there is nothing we have done that we should point to and say, you're going to let me into heaven, right? I did these things. We should point at Jesus. I'm in Him. His righteousness is my righteousness. When we look at history, we see that there are people who have done awful things in the name of Christianity. They've committed crimes. They've waged wars. They've done these things in the name of Christ. We see that what they did, what they were involved in, does not jive with the message of Jesus. They clearly did not know the message of Christ because Christ did not call them to that. He called them to love their enemies and pray for them. Told them that the meek shall inherit the earth. Not those that take control. 
there are people and there are false leaders and false believers who think they've been misled or they are purposely misleading others because there is something to gain. And that passage there in Matthew 7, just a few verses before, Jesus says, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, he says that in 21 and 15, he says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. They come to you with the dressings and the trappings of religious leaders, but on the inside they're religious wolves, they're ravenous wolves, they're trying to use religion to get you to do something they want you to do. And when we look back in history at awful things that have been perpetuated in the name of Christianity, I think that we see that there were people who were false leaders who had the trappings of Christianity and the trappings of religious leaders, and they convinced believers, people who thought they were doing what God would have them do, they taught them lies to get them to do what they wanted them to do, to wage wars they wanted to win, to be involved in illegal activity that profited them. This is where I would categorize the Crusades and the Salem Witch Trials. These people did not understand the message of Jesus. They're acting out false messages, propagating false teaching for their own benefit. And by the way, you need to be careful. There are many misconceptions about these events in history. They are exaggerated, and they are, they are they're purposely used to mislead people on what happened. Um, Alex McGrath says that one of Christianity's great responsibilities in the current age is to undo misconceptions about Christianity. There are so many false ideas about what we believe. And there are people that will talk to you about the Crusades and how they were these religious wars. The truth is, the Crusades were geopolitical wars like other geopolitical wars. They're fighting for ground, geography, territory, political power. And Rome had been on this march conquering the world for generations before it became officially Christian or Catholic, and it becomes officially Christian or Catholic, and it uses that language, paints the picture of their opponents as pagans, and tells them this is a holy war. Now these are the same people that wanted to conquer land and take political power a generation ago. The only thing that's changed is the language they're using to get the people to do what they want them to do. And the same thing's done today. Watch a politician posture themselves to be seen as the common man so that they can get your vote. When I was a kid, we lived in Nashville, and we moved from Nashville to Norfolk, Virginia when I was 12. And there was a politician in Tennessee who was a leading state politician. I saw him on the news a lot when I was a kid. And not long after we moved to Virginia, he ran for his party's nomination for president. Now, every time I had seen him on the news when I was a kid, he was wearing a suit and tie. But every time you saw him on the news when he was running for his party's nomination, he was wearing a flannel shirt. And I think it was the same red and black flannel shirt every time. And as a young teenager, I thought, who's that guy fooling, right? Because I remember when he was in Tennessee, he was not trying to appear like the common man, but he was working hard for that Southern vote. For his party's nomination, he's wearing a flannel shirt. And there are a lot of people that they don't break out their flannel shirt 
But they break out their study Bible. They bring out, break out their religious affiliation because they're posturing for people's support. And people who led into these wars and called them holy wars, they were trying to posture to receive support and men. Uh, Tim Keller has well pointed out that the, the same could be said about the war in Northern Ireland. The, the war in Northern Ireland it is always portrayed as it's between the Catholics and the Protestants, right? You know what they're fighting over? Land and control. They are not fighting over the appropriate mode of baptism. They are not fighting over a priest's right to marry. They are not fighting over the role of the Virgin Mary. They're fighting over land. And they're killing one another, right? Throughout that war, and then they're going home and getting drunk. They're not fighting for a Catholic cause, and they're fighting for a Protestant cause. They're fighting for their people's cause. And they have been labeled and categorized as Catholics and Protestants so they can bring people together. By the way, I mentioned earlier misconception. Let me just point out one really quick. In, in Dan Brown's book, The Da Vinci Code, which has been a decade now, that was super popular, he just flippantly says that five million women were killed in the witch trials. Um, Carl Sagan, he wrote about this, says, no one really knows how many people were killed in the witch trials, maybe thousands, maybe millions. That's a really big maybe, okay? Like, how much is that car? Maybe hundreds, maybe millions, right? That's, well, that's a big difference, okay? That, that's an awfully big ballpark. The truth is that about 40,000 people, a fifth of which were men, were killed in the witch trials. Now, 40,000 is way too many people, okay? It's not flippant that it was 40,000. There is a very big difference between 40,000 and 5 million. Okay. The Salem witch trials, which took place here in North America, in the U.S., 25 people. All right? Now, 25 people is still 25 lives, and every one of those lives is a life. And so lowering the number does not make it okay. Right? But there is this exaggeration of, of what happened. Okay? And by the way, religion does not have a monopoly on these extremist acts. The greatest atrocities that have taken place in the last 100 years have been carried out by dogmatically atheist regimes which have pushed out organized religion as a, a central tenet to their philosophy. So in addition to people who have been led astray by false teachers, those who are false believers, because they're following these, these leaders who are leading them into to wars or to give money, there are millions of people, millions of people in our nation who have been told, if you'll just whisper a prayer, you're going to heaven. And they've said a prayer at a camp or a Bible school when they were seven, and they have not walked with Jesus a day in their life, and they consider themselves to be Christians. There are millions of people who consider themselves evangelicals because their dad was one or their grandparents were Methodists. And they label themselves in that way and they are self-labeling themselves Christianity, Christians, a part of Christianity, but we would not say that they are following Jesus. 
I try to be very careful. I'll say things like someone made a profession of faith. Okay? I'm saying that they have professed, they've told me that they put their faith in Jesus. But I never want to tell anyone that they've been saved. Okay? Because the last thing that I want to do is give them false assurance. Ten years down the road from now, they are not following Jesus. They are living like they always did. And they're walking around saying, I'm a Christian because I said a prayer and Pastor Daniel said, I'm saved. Okay? But because of the rise of cheap, easy beliefism, and cheap, easy beliefism is just, hey, get a, get a person to say a prayer, and then no matter what happens, couple that with once saved, always saved, that you don't have to ever worry about them losing their salvation, and there are people out there that just try to get someone to recite some words. Okay, The most extreme example that I have personally seen of this is in the, the poor minority neighborhood that I was ministering in when I was in Virginia, there was another church that had a ministry there. They would come and pick up the kids, and they sent home a flyer. I saw it, that everyone who got baptized on a particular Sunday got a whopper. All right? And, and, and I'm looking at these, these, these poor children who are, are going to hop on that bus, and they're going to get plunged underneath the water so they can get a burger. Okay? And that has led to many people out there, they consider themselves to be a Christian because they said some words, or because they were dunked under the water, or because their mom and dad had them baptized when they were a baby and they didn't even know what was going on, and they think of themselves as a Christian. And so when someone calls them up and does a survey and says, are you a Christian? They say, yeah. And they label themselves as a Christian. For that reason, there was this, this major study that was done, and this poll showed... There was absolutely no statistical difference between those who self-labeled themselves Christians and those who referred to themselves as non-Christian when it came to the following list. No difference in those that participated in the following things. Gambling, visiting porn sites, theft and pilfering from your job, gossip, revenge, consulting a medium or a psychic, getting drunk. The only, the only thing in this poll that showed any statistical difference was recycling. Self-labeled Christians are 5% less likely to recycle. That was the only difference. It's no wonder that there is this overwhelming sense that Christians are hypocrites because so many people who refer to themselves as Christians, they don't know anything about the message of Jesus Christ. They don't know anything about the message of His death on the cross to take the punishment for our sin. I don't know anything about the, the message of a holy God who is righteous and has wrath for sin and the price that Jesus Christ paid and the call that He gives us to follow Him every day and be made a new creation. They have the same amount of faith that the demons have. Scripture says that demons believe, but it doesn't make any difference. They're, just, they're, they're terrified, but they're still evil. So there are false teachers who claim to be the church. There are false believers who claim to be in the church. And then lastly, there are sanctified sinners in the church. In, in his book, Mark Clark tells the story of when they started their church in Canada. It was one of the fastest growing churches in Canada. They were meeting in a school, and they were outgrowing that school, and outgrowing the school's parking lot. So we got a call on a Monday morning from a neighbor from the school who said, listen, 
one of your people parked in my grass on Sunday. And I came out and I said, hey man, you can't park there. And he flipped me the bird and said, F you man, I'm late for church. And Mark said, okay, we don't teach that at our church. And he, he got to talking to him and he figured out who it was. And it was somebody who'd walked in the door for the very first time that day. And I know that there are people who walk in our church doors on a Sunday and they live like an absolute heathen on Monday and they live like an absolute heathen on Saturday. But we're not telling them that that's okay. That's not where we're leaving them, right? And so the question that we often need to ask ourselves is not where people are at, but where, where are they headed? Where are we leaving them? Where did they start, right? There's some folks in our congregation they, they smoke on a regular basis. And I'm not happy about the fact that they smoke, but I'm glad that they're only smoking tobacco right now. Right? Because we're not smoking meth. This is progress. Alright? This is not where we're ending. This is not where we're headed, but we're a whole lot better off than where we started. Okay? And so the church is made up of people who are messy. You know how I know it? Because I'm looking at you right now. You are a mess. I am a mess. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, you're vile, wretched. That's what he said about us. We are a mess. God is working in us and he is sanctifying us and we believe in immediate justification that when we put our faith in Christ, we are immediately justified, our standing before him as if we had never sinned. Christ's righteousness is imputed to us, immediate justification and what? Progressive sanctification and it's a long journey. And some of us have further to go than others. And some of us, we're, we, God's moving and working, and He's bringing us along at a pretty good clip, and others, we're stubborn, and we're dragging our heels, but God is working, and He is convicting of sin. And so one of the reasons that the church is full of hypocrites is because we are messed up people. And it may be that you're one of those hypocrites that people have referred to, but I hope that tonight... You recognize there is a lot of work that Christ needs to do in you. You know what I'm, I'm mindful of tonight? There's a lot of work that Jesus needs to do in me. If you're here and you're not a believer, and the problem of hypocrisy is, is something that holds you back from faith, let me, just, let me just challenge you. Please judge the merits of Christianity not on the life of a Christian you know, but on the life of Christ and on His message. Two reasons, okay? And then I'm done. One, that Christian you know, their lack of holiness does not change the truth. Leo Tolstoy pointed this out well. He says, if I know my way home and I am walking it drunkenly, it is not any less the right way because I'm staggering from side to side. And if, if, if I'm following Jesus and I'm making an absolute mess of it, that doesn't mean that Jesus is wrong. It means that I'm struggling. Think about it this way. If we found out tomorrow that your high school physics teacher was a pedophile, that would be tragic news to learn. But gravity would still be true. If we found out tomorrow that your high school math teacher 
was an adulterer. That'd be heartbreaking news. But calculus would still be calculus. And their actions would not change the truth. When my pastor and the man who taught me how to prepare sermons admitted to financial impropriety and sexual immorality, it cut me to the core. But it did not change the truth. Two. One, their lack of holiness does not change the truth. Two, their lack of holiness will not be on trial when you stand judgment. The problem of hypocrisy is a powerful one because we feel it so deeply. We feel it personally. We have often been the victim of someone else's hypocrisy. However, it falls under the categorization of a trivial objection. A trivial objection is focusing critical attention on a point less significant than the main point or the basic thrust of an argument. Let me give you a real-world example. Did you hit your sister? Well, she was looking at me. (laughs) That's a trivial objection. It does not justify the action. Your hypocrite neighbor is going to stand his own trial before God. Your false-believing co-worker is going to stand his own trial before God. The greedy TV preacher will stand in his own judgment, and Jesus says unto him, Woe unto you on that day. But you and I will stand trial as well. And when I stand trial, I will not be able to point at anyone and say, But they, but he, but she. I will not be able to justify my own lack of righteousness by someone else's lack of righteousness. But hear this, and I'm done. There is one you can point to. On that day, there is one you can point to. And you can say, don't judge me on my own merit, but judge me upon Christ's merit. I have put my hope and trust in Him, and it is only in His righteousness that I can stand before you. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.